Imagine a birthday party and the hamburgers have been eaten, the cake has been devoured, and we now come to the time of the opening of the gifts. And the celebrity then begins the process and he opens the first gift. Oh, scarf. Oh, thanks, Bob. That was, you were at the bay when I looked at this. This is just wonderful. Great gift. And the next gift, uh, friend. Oh, a book. Thank you, friend. That's just wonderful. You, oh, this is a great book. I'll read it. And this goes on for a while and then he gets to the very last gift. And he, you know, boy, is this my last one here. Deodorant. <laughs> Suddenly, there is a mood change. Now, many of the people there knew why he was getting the deodorant, and we won't go into all those details, but still, they agreed this is not really, maybe, the appropriate place to make that sort of a comment, and so the mood of the entire day was ruined. They turned against the person who had presented this uh, rather uncomfortable gift, and the evening just went downhill from there. That story is actually a very close parallel to the story from Luke's Gospel. Almost the same. See, Jesus came to the party. He came to the synagogue. He came to the synagogue in his own hometown, and everybody recognized him and remembered him, and they were happy to have him there. And he began doing what he should have done. He was handed the scroll of the day. They worked with a lectionary, much as we do, which allowed them to read through Scripture on a regular three-year cycle. So this year, the, or this time, the prophet was, was in front of him, and Jesus read the prophet. But then, you see, he did not go back there, my friend, Back, yeah, that's back. Jesus did not bring the gift that was expected or wanted, but rather the one that was surprising and necessary. Jesus did not bring the gift that was expected or wanted, but rather the one that was surprising and necessary. Because you note that in the scripture, it said that after he read the scroll, he handed it back and he sat down. Now many think, well, that's, that's what he did. No. What you must realize is that in Jewish tradition, then and now, when rabbis preached, they did not preach standing up. That's a Protestant, a Catholic thing. That's a Christian thing. Because, you see, what we do is we put the person who's preaching way up high, and if you go to medieval cathedrals, they, they were way up high. Rabbis preached sitting down. Because you see, when they were preaching, they were preaching not as someone with extra authority. They were preaching as one of the people. And really, a sermon by a rabbi was, look, at these are my opinions, and I'm going to give them to you, and I'm on the same level as you are. And if you have other opinions, we can discuss them after. And Jewish people have spent 3,000 years arguing about what Scripture means. This fact that, you know, we say, well, you know, Scripture has a meaning, and that's it. If you have Jewish friends, they'll stare at you blankly and say, so God doesn't speak anymore? You know, you've closed God. No, of course it's open. So he sat down, and then he began to preach, and this is where his surprise gift came in. Because when he finished preaching, we don't have the sermon text complete, but there was also a mood change at this party. The congregation, or at least a significant amount of them, were not happy. 
They were filled with rage. They got up and drove him out of the town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Whoa! There's a reaction to the gift. Why? Quick history of first century Palestine, especially the north, especially Galilee. The Jewish people had a built-in security, social security system. When Israel, when the Hebrew people first established themselves in the land, everybody got land. Everybody had enough land to raise the food that they needed. It was an egalitarian society. In fact, if you sold the land, what would happen is after seven years and the day of the Lord's favor, you'd get the land back because it was your inheritance from God. Nobody could take it from you. And that went on for five, six hundred years until about this time when the leaders of the Jewish community began to make deals with the Romans and the Greeks, and they began to sell off the people's land. And Galilee at this time was filled with dispossessed people. In fact, there was just to the northeast uh, of Nazareth a very large town, Sephorus, which was a Greek city sitting on Hebrew land, and the Jews couldn't even go in it because it was a Gentile city. Plus, the Romans had also put on them terrible taxes. So the mood in Galilee at the time of Jesus was not one of happiness. The 1% had taken over, and the people were not at all pleased. And so to this situation, to the stench of this situation, Jesus brought the deodorant of the gospel. So with that in mind, let's reread Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. The poor were not people over there. The poor were the people standing in front of them. God has sent me to proclaim the release of the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, the leaders, and let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's just not a nice phrase. What he is saying is that things are going to change now. You deserve back what you have lost. What Jesus said was that the realm of God is not in the future, but in the present. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is a now thing. See, the rabbis have been going around. They've been saying, you know, uh, God's going to make everything right. The Messiah is going to come. And when the Messiah comes, you all get everything you want back. Isn't that wonderful? Let's just keep meeting on the Sabbath day and praying. And eventually this will happen. And what Jesus said is, no, it's got to happen now because God is with us. And, you know, we often get caught up in this same sort of thinking. You know, well, yeah, things are bad, but, you know, I'm sure they'll work, work out. You know, trickle down the economy will eventually trickle down to us, and it doesn't. And then uh, we're sort of confused as to why it isn't happening. The leaders may talk about change. Yep, change is, is definitely, you know, it's going to come. We've got to, we, let's set up a committee, a task group. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about how change might come sometime after the next annual meetings, next annual meeting. And we get into that mentality of waiting, which Jesus had no patience with at all. Example this week is that uh, we've had the meeting in 
Switzerland by the World Economic Forum, and they talked about climate change. And to that meeting, they brought 1,500 private jets. We're really concerned. You know, this is a, this is one of the things. That, yeah. So what Jesus broke into at that time was this whole new thought that change is about not about something God is going to do in the future, something about God is doing now. And he was calling the people, look around you at the opportunities, push it, get it. The presence of the realm of God means necessary change in us. God is acting. There are opportunities out there. There are ways of changing things. That's not the question. God is active, but it means that we also have to change. We can't just put it on other people. Now, often, of course, what this means is we simply deny the message. Well, no, no, we don't really need to worry about that. That's something that will be taken care of in the future or by someone else. Or we disparage the messenger, which is what they did with Jesus. You know, who's this guy to talk to this, us like this? No, no, no. And uh, I'm sure the rabbis in the synagogue that they were absolutely infuriated. They brought this, this itinerant rabbi in to talk, because this is not what we want to hear here. And we substitute, as I just said, we substitute change in the world and change in ourselves with thinking about change or praying for it or sending out our thoughts and prayers on Facebook. Let's look at a really happy slide now, the best slide of the morning. There he is, folks. That's why we're going to London. That's Hugo the Hilarious. And he's talking there, in case you want her, to Grandpa and Grandma and Uncle Sean on Skype. And it's wonderful because he thinks that Grandma and Grandpa and Uncle Sean live under the cupboard in his house in my son's laptop. And we actually have videos. They'll say, do you want to talk to Grandma and Grandpa and Uncle Sean? And we also usually have Melvin the monkey there, but we don't at this point. And he goes over and he pulls out the computer. And because he knows this is where Grandma and Grandpa and Uncle Sean live, I am dying a week Wednesday we're going to be there, and Grandma and Grandpa are going to walk through the front door, and I think his circuit board is going to overheat. Like, <laughs> how do they escape? <laughs> oh, not good. I'm putting up Hugo not just because he's the cutest, best grandchild in all the world, which he, I mean, how else can you say it? But because you never hear him arguing or worrying, or fretting about changing. You know, it's not he gets up in the morning and says, oh, you know, I've been crawling up to now, and now I've got to learn to stand up. Oh, this is so much. Oh, gee. And now I've got to learn to climb the stairs. Oh, no. Why do I have to learn to climb the stairs? And Now I've got to learn to eat broccoli. Oh, no, I don't want to learn to eat broccoli. You know, <laughs> babies don't do that. Young people don't do that. The world is he's exploring everything all the time. Wow, I've never been up the stairs before. I bet I can make it. I can move my feet. Yeah, I can. Why, why can't we be like that? You know, we tend to just uh, say, well, you know, yeah, I should change, but I really can't change. And no, we're made to change. God has created us to grow. I don't care what age you are. There are things you can learn, new things you can do. This is what life is about. And what Jesus said to the people in the synagogue that day is, God is active. Don't worry about God's part. That's already been taken care of. You then must become changed. You must be transformed. You must be the kind of people who are ready for this change. And that's the third point he made. This present realm of God is brought about by people living 
with Christ. God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. You're free, friends. Go out and do what you have to do. And recovery of sight to the blind. You leaders begin to look around because this is not the way God expected things to be. To let the oppressed go free. Uh, there's increasing Bible study now that's pointing out that what the early Christian movement was in the Jewish community was a recovenanting community. Uh, things like the Beatitudes are actually a restatement of the Jewish covenant. So when they were going around, they said, look, we're in a mess here. We've forgotten who we are as a people. We've forgotten our principles. We've forgotten the things we were based on. So let's do it. Who are blessed? The poor are blessed. Blessed are they. Wow. It's, it's, and this was actually said as the covenant had been said in Jewish synagogues. The Christians said this. We're redoing things. We're remaking things. We're changing things. This is what our community is really about. In fact, Jesus even gives them a warning. He said, remember Elijah and Elisha, two of the great prophets in the Old Testament. You can run home this afternoon before the game. You can read their stories. But see, they did miracles, but not with Jewish people. Wow. What was wrong with them? They did miracles with none. Jewish people. And what Jesus said, and I think the church needs to listen, is look at, if you're not going to be changed enough to go out and become a part of the process of change, then God will work somewhere else. <laughs> you know, that's the way God works. God isn't going to sit and you say, oh, I'm all changed and I'm ready to do things except I don't want to do it. No. God's going to say, well, somebody will. And it may not be you. A re-covenanting, a re-establishing, a rediscovering of who they really were, the power they really had, and the God in whose name they acted. This is what this passage was about. There were some were not happy. They said, no, let's just stay the way we are, and God will do something out there, and we'll just be here and carry on with the regular routine of things as we always have, and that's how the future comes. And Jesus said, no. We need to change, because we are change. That's what we're meant for. That's why God places us here, and God is working. We better catch up with God. And for that message, thanks be to God. We move now in that spirit of change.